So uh, I know it's not a highly popular topic, um, especially at this point, but today we are going to be talking about disruption. I don't know if any of you guys have had that happen in your life recently, but uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how disruptions come into our lives, how sometimes God allows disruption to come into our life, but also there are times that God actually brings disruption into our lives. Would you agree with that? Are you kind of uh, concerned about that one? I, I believe that, you know, when we're talking about disruption, one of the things I think that we need to understand is that, um, you know, before the pandemic, I think many of us might have categorized minor inconveniences or interruptions and called those major disruptions. But I'm pretty sure we all know the difference now, right? An interruption is something that takes your plans and it puts them off for like a couple hours or a couple of days. A disruption is something that takes your plans, it throws them out the window, it stomps them into the street, runs over them a couple of times with the car, and makes sure before it drives off that they're not moving, right? That's a disruption. And many of us have had and experienced disruption in our life this past year or two, not just interruptions. Disruption, interruption is like, here we are in Rhode Island, interruption is when you have like a rainy day on the day you wanted to go to the beach. And you have to say, oh no, I got to wait till tomorrow or I got to wait till next hour when the rain goes away, right? Disruption is when a hurricane comes up, (laughs) takes the beach and half the shoreline out to the sea. That's a disruption. So when we're talking about disruption, we're talking about things that we cannot go back to what we thought of as normal because normal doesn't even exist anymore to go back to. We're looking at a story this morning, an everyday story from the life of Jesus about how Jesus came into a certain individual's life and he did this regularly. He came in and he caused a major disruption, but not just for him, but we find out it was for him, for all those who were connected with him for the town that he was a part of, for the whole region that he was a part of. Now, the disruption that we see Jesus do in his life is a good one. And typically that is what Jesus does when he comes in. The disruption is for the good. But sometimes we don't see it that way or sometimes those around us don't necessarily see it that way either. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So we're in Mark chapter five. It's going to be a little bit longer of a story, verse one through 20. Let's stand together as we hear God's word, Mark 1, or Mark 5, 1 through 20. It says, so Jesus and his disciples arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Gerasenes. This is right after the story that we heard about a couple of weeks ago about they're going, they're plowing through this storm on the Sea of Galilee. They finally get to the other side and they get to this region, this region of the people called the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, A man possessed by an unclean spirit came running up out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the caves that were used for burial and could no longer be restrained, even with chains. He had often been bound with chains and shackles, but had torn apart the chains and shattered the shackles into pieces, and no one was strong enough to restrain him. So constantly, day and night, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. 
Upon seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up, bowed down before him, shouting with a loud voice, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God not to torment me. The demon said this because Jesus had been saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the demon said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I want to pause here because I want to give you what this picture is saying real quick. Jesus is saying one by one, come out of you, him, you unclean spirit. And there was another, come out of him, you unclean spirit. <laughs> come out of him, you unclean spirit. And the guy finally says, hold on. Why are you doing this? He says, what's your name? And he says, we're at Legion because there's a bunch of us in here. So you got the picture? That's what's going on. And uh, with that, the demon began to entreat, and this was like a demon representative, began to entreat Jesus earnestly, don't send us out of this region. Now there was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby in the mountain, and the demon pleaded, the demons pleaded, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. So coming out of the man, the unclean spirits entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned, about 2,000 pigs altogether. Those who had been herding the pigs ran away and reported about these things to the city and throughout the region, and people came out to see for themselves what had happened. They came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion. He was sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, and they became frightened. And again, those who had seen it described for them what had happened, what had happened to the possessed man and all about the pigs and the people began to beg Jesus to leave their region. So as he's getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed was begging him that he might accompany him, but Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home instead to your people and tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man left and began to proclaim in all of the Decapolis, which is this huge region that's on the other side of the Jordan. He says he began to proclaim all what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. There are times when God (laughs) brings upheaval into our lives. There are times when doing God's work brings upheaval into our lives. It brings a disruption. And I want you to hear this. This is why. Because... God, if he looks down in our normal, if our normal is that we are broken and our relationships with him and with each other are broken, he says, you know what? It's time for a different normal. Amen? And so he, that is disruption. So this morning, this, this message, this message is titled Disruption, a story of reconciliation. Father, we want to hear from you this morning, so speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, amen. You can have a seat. I don't know if you guys have noticed, if you've been here each month, we have had uh, what we are calling our compassion initiatives. Every month, we, are, uh, we have said we are a compassionate Christian community, and so it makes sense that we would join with our partners that are in this region or, or throughout, uh, really throughout the world, and we would join with them and we would help to gather things, uh, gather resources for them that they need to use for the people that they minister with. 
And um, in a way, what this does, we are hoping, is it disrupts people in some of the, the harder or challenging circumstances that they face, that it disrupts those and brings them into a better place. That's what compassion compels us to do. So um, in June, we were gathering, uh, we gathered together food for the local food bank. Uh, this month coming up, and so as you're walking out, you'll see this, and those who are online, you can get online and find out about this. But uh, we are gathering up school supplies because we partnered with a local uh, elementary school to get them kind of launched on the right foot and uh, some of their kids with what they need. Um, but then last month kind of stood out as I was preparing this message. And, and it stood out because last month we gathered up, we, we partnered with Dorcas International, and uh, we gathered things that they need because they work with families who are coming in through immigration. Uh, they're coming in as immigrants or even as refugees. And I know for me, I don't know how this works for you, but for me, anytime that I am involved in something that heightens my awareness, makes me more, kind of draws my attention back to the challenges that refugees face. And we have refugees seemingly in this world all the time. And at any time in our history, we have had people that have been displaced and that are fleeing, that are running, that are trying to find refuge. Anytime that I see that, I really quickly come to the conclusion, you know, in my life, I don't know that I've ever truly faced disruption like that, right? That kind of disruption that just takes everything and dumps it upside down, that takes your life and wipes it out, that takes the lives of many of those that you love and just lays it flat, that forces you out of your home, that forces you to flee to a place that you don't know. You don't know the, the, the customs. You don't know the language. That is disruption. And I look at my life and I say, you know, I don't know that I have seen that level of change, that level of coming to that place where I have to so turn in my life that it just literally from top to bottom changes everything. In our story, Jesus brings that level of, of change, not only to this man's life, and we look at that and we go, well, that's great that he brought it to him, but we need to look at not just because we're, none of us is an island, we're all tied to others, and when we change, we change the systems we're a part of. We change the family we're a part of. We change the community we're a part of. We change everything. And some of those changes are not always taken in the same way. They, we look at this man, we say, that was great. But you see the townspeople and how they reacted? They said, that's not so good. And we need to look at why. In our story, what happened is Jesus and his disciples, they're just coming over to the other side of the sea. Like I said, they just come through this storm. So they're probably tired. They're probably a bit rattled about what has happened, Right? And they get, on, they get to the shore, and no sooner does Jesus put his feet down on that sand than this crazy man comes running out of these tombs. And the tombs were basically, there were caves that were along the shoreline where the people would bury their dead. And these were, so they were tombs, they were caves, but he, he would live there. And he comes running out of these tombs. And by the description, he is shouting, he is shrieking, he's he's talking to Jesus like he knows who he is. He's never been seen, they've never seen this guy before in their lives, and yet here's this man talking to Jesus like he knows exactly who Jesus is. He is apparently unclothed, and he's gashed up from stones where he has just carved away at himself because of the torment, the crazy, 
the, the chaos that is going on, these demons inside of him that are driving this behavior. Now, I have been in situations where I've been walking down the street, and I'm sure you have too. You've been walking down the street, and you see somebody ahead who's acting kind of strangely, right? What is our normal response to that? Yeah, either, either we go to the other side of the street, maybe, try and get around it. Maybe we, we try and choose a different route, you know. Maybe we say, you know, this doesn't have to be done today. And we go home, right? This guy doesn't necessarily let them do that. They are stuck between him and the ocean, the, the sea, the Sea of Galilee that they just came, came over. They just came through the storm. Here comes another storm in the form of this guy coming at them. They have nowhere to go. Now, how do we respond how do we respond to these people? I think is, um, you know, even in fairly benign situations, our response is to try and let's just put as much distance between us and them. And one of the first things that we need to look at in this story is we need to say, how is it that we, you know, what is the reaction that I have? And is that the reaction that Jesus would have me have? right? Is this the way that Jesus would have me respond to those people that come into my life that may, yeah, they may be a little bit in turmoil? Because we're not, I, I got to tell you, I've never faced somebody like this before. But this story challenges me to think, what should be my response? Because even in these fairly benign kind of encounters that I have, I tend to reroute, avoid that, that interaction. Why? Because I see this person and I immediately think, you know what? To engage that is probably going to be a disruption in my life, right? So the first disruption we see in this story is this man. He's coming down and really it's because of these demons that are driving this guy and they disrupt Jesus. They disrupt, he is trying to disrupt Jesus. He comes in, he says, he's basically saying, don't come into my territory, Don't come, what are you messing with me for, Jesus? What do we have to do with each other? Don't, I implore you, by God, don't come in and mess my life up. Don't don't torment me. These are demons saying, don't torment us. The first bit of chaos we get, we get this disruption. So what do we do with the disruptors in our life? I would say that we we have two choices. We have the one choice to act like the townspeople obviously did. It says that the townspeople, what they did with this guy was, first of all, they tried to chain him up. They tried to minimize. They tried to suppress the chaos that he brought into their lives, that disruption. And then when they couldn't do that, it says they even tried to hold him. And they couldn't do that. There was nobody strong enough to hold him. We weren't chains enough. And so what did they do at that point? They sent him away. So let's suppress him or let's send him away. Let's get him out of our, our, our presence, let them get them out of our lives. And we do that. We do that with people that bring chaos into our culture, into our society, into our lives. We say, you know what? First, if we can cap it with something, we can put down rules or laws or policies that get them to quit acting that way. Or the second thing is, if that doesn't work, if we can't contain it, then let's just ship them off somewhere, anywhere but here. And so we have our prisons. And we have our, our mental health institutions. But we also have those that, I mean, they don't fit any, they haven't done anything that bad. And so we just kind of, we move them from city to city. We, we have them, you know, we just want to shuffle them off from shelter to shelter somewhere that's not like in our neighborhood, somewhere that's not, because we don't want to have those disruptions. But then you look at that as, a, as opposed to the way 
that Jesus responded to him. Jesus comes right in, he comes running up, he falls down right in front of him, and Jesus engages him. Why? Because one of the things that we find from this story is when we do that, the worst thing that this town could have done, we're going to find out why, but the worst thing this town could have done was to ship this guy up, to get them out of their presence. You say, why, why was that such a bad thing to do? Well, let's look at this man, and let's look at what we learn about him over the course of this story. First of all, he's this man that obviously he is infested with these demons. We're not just talking about like one garden variety demon that gives him a bad day every once in a while, right? He, he says he has a legion of demons. Legion in this day did not just mean kind of this general word of just a bunch of them. This is a very technical term. A legion was a, a fighting unit in the Roman army, the Roman legions. That's the first time we find it in history. And anyone reading this would have said, oh, a legion. Legion had five to 6,000 soldiers, had all the officers that are with those soldiers, had an auxiliary of a cavalry that would come with them and all the support staff that was needed. A legion was a huge force. And so this guy wasn't just infested by a couple of demons. He was infested by thousands. Thousands of demons that were intent on one thing, causing chaos and, and really destruction in his life. And we find that out. Second thing that we find out, these demons, and we find this out when they're cast out of him and then these pigs, and immediately what happens? 2,000 pigs are trying to house all the demons that were in this one guy. And what happens? It drives them mad to the point that they run off a cliff, they go and they drown themselves in the sea. That's what he had living in him. So we need to see. Now, I, I want to take a, just a side note here. I want you to think about what that means. I want you to think about what that means about how God has designed us. The resilience, the endurance that he has just woven into each one of us. If you want to know how much, how much pain can a human endure, how much chaos can a human endure, how much, how much crazy inside, chaos, just destructive power can a human endure, you read this story, you, it's a legion. It's a legion of it. And sure, he was running around screaming his head off. Who wouldn't be? He was cutting himself. I mean, one of the things that you find out about when people cut themselves, they are trying to stop the pain by focusing it somewhere else. Okay? He's trying to, he's cutting himself, sure. He is, he is out there among the tombs. He is, he is taking himself. He's naked. He's, he's, he's dirty. He is unkempt. Yeah, of course. He has a legion within him. But he didn't even start to do what those pigs did. 2,000 of them. One of the things that we need to learn from this story is this. We need to always remember the power, the strength that is inherent in each and every one of us just because we are created in the image of God. Even if we're fallen, even if we are separated from him, the strength that is just a part of us because we have been made in his image. But then look at this. Did you notice what happens when Jesus finally does? He casts out the demons. The demons are gone. 
They're not a part of his life anymore. He's sitting there. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's cleansed of that chaos that was inside. He is cleansed of that destructive power that was wreaking havoc in him and through him. And what does he become? What does this man become who is known as a disruptor? He was known as this outcast. What does he become? Jesus says, you know what? I came here because you are going to be my spokesman to this region. He, he asked Jesus at the end, you heard him, can I follow you? He said, can I be a disciple? And Jesus basically says, no. Instead, I'm going to make you an apostle, which means I'm going to send you on a mission. You're going to go back to your home and you're going to tell your people about the glory because they've asked me to leave, so I need you to take this message to them instead. Now, I think anybody in that society, if they would have looked at this man and they would have said, Jesus, who's the one in our, in our area that you want to pick to be your spokesman in this region They would not have picked that guy. A lot of times we go through our lives and we go, there's so many other people you could pick, Jesus. My life is a mess. It's chaos. I can't even think straight sometimes. And Jesus says, nope. (laughs) Do you know how important this guy was to him? They fought through a storm. To get to the other side. It was like the, the sea itself was resisting them. And Jesus said, no, I got to get to that shore. Why? The only thing he did on that side of the lake was to cast the demons out of this guy and send him on his mission. That's how important he was to Jesus. And we need to know that. You know, we talk about how, how God pursues us relentlessly with his love. And why? Because he knows the calling that is on our life. He knows what he has made us for. He knows what we're wired and designed for. He chases us. He will go up against anything to get to us, even if it means that he goes, he crosses this lake, he shows up. That's the only thing he gets done is to set this guy free and set him out on his mission. We need to know that. Because each one of us has that same kind of call, that same kind of importance to Christ, that same kind of call on our lives, that same kind of commission that God has called us to. So here he is, and he's set free, and here come the townspeople. They've heard about what has happened. They've heard about the pigs. You know, there's so many layers of this that we could get into. We're not going to answer the question today. I know some of you guys are going to be disappointed, but why did Jesus allow the pigs to get killed? Not going to go there. Um, There's other things like that we just don't have time for. But the one thing I do want to look at before we kind of wrap this up is this. Did you see the response of the, the people of the town? They came and they saw this guy who was crazy. They saw this guy that was that was infested by a legion of demons. And what did those demons ask of Jesus? They said, don't make us leave this region. What region? Well, the region that he came into, the region of the Gerasenes. Don't make it. It was as if these, these demons were anchored in that place, right, to do their damage. And what these townspeople loved was the fact that this one guy was like the lightning rod for all of that. And because of that, they probably didn't have to deal with it at all, aside from just dealing with this guy. And they were like, this is a great setup for us. And when they go out there and they see this guy sitting there all of a sudden in his right mind, 
clothed, and they're going, uh-oh. Because all of a sudden, he's not containing all of the chaos that's in this region. He's not the one that's like the lightning rod for all of it. They go, Jesus, we got to ask you to leave. Because you're, you're disrupting our lives. You're, you're messing with our arrangements. You're, you're, you're shuffling our, our pieces around, and we don't recognize the board anymore. we we got to ask you to leave. It, they asked the one guy, because what did they, they had tried to control this, right? They tried to shackle him. They tried to hold him. They tried to drive him out. They couldn't control him. The one guy that actually has the authority to do anything about this, they asked him to leave. That's like the craziest part of the story. But I want us to think about how many times do we ask God to leave because he messes up our arrangements, Right? Because he threatens to undo this whole system that we set up, that we, we're, benef- we're doing fine with it. We're benefiting. And Jesus comes in and he stirs the whole thing up. And all of a sudden, people are set free that we had hoped would, would keep the chaos kind of controlled for us. We hoped we could always go by and look at them and say, oh, isn't that sad? And it would always be sad, but at least it wouldn't be sad for us. How many times when Jesus, he comes in and he stirs that stuff up and we go, ah, I don't know if I like this Jesus. Right? So much in here, but I want us to take away maybe three things. I want us to think about those three things. We've already highlighted them. First is this. Think in your life. Just kind of go through your day, through your life, and think about, Are there any people in your life that you have basically labeled as disruptors? People that you say, "Ah, that's bad news for my life. Anytime if I engage them, they're going to take up too much time. They're going to bring chaos in because their life is chaos. And because of that, you've responded by trying to either suppress them or to send them away. Are there people like that in your life? And they're probably at the fringes of your life because we don't like them in the middle. But they may be in your family. They may be, they may be acquaintances at work. They, it could be anywhere. But are there people who are disruptors? Because what we need to be asking, are we called to be like those townspeople and respond in that way? Are we called to respond like Jesus? Could it be that that person is like this key this key piece in God's plan, not just for their life, but for yours as well. Because that's what this guy ended up being. And all they need is to be set free. Could it be that they are actually targeted by a whole legion of demons because of their significance in God's plan? And what they need is they need you to come alongside and actually be fighting for them, not be fighting against them. They already have enough of that. Could it be? Could it be that God actually had you cross their paths? Jesus said that some of the most important people in the kingdom would be some of the people we least expect, right? It's going to be the poor. It's going to be the weak. It's going to be those, it's going to be those that we just have we, have, we do not expect it at all. It takes us so off guard. It'd be the last person that we chose. So these are the people that we're supposed to be coming alongside 
These are the people that we're supposed to be helping and working with God to see that they are released, that they are, that they are released from their bondage, from their prisons, from their shackles, from their chains, from their demons, so that they might serve that, that purpose that God has for them. And then it might end up changing our lives. So are there disruptors in our, in our world that we are, we are we're approaching, not like Jesus, we're approaching like those townspeople? And shouldn't we be approaching them like Jesus did? Second question is this. We say we want God's best for our life, but there are times, are we truly seeking his purpose or are there times that we are seeking just to hold on to that kind of system, that framework, that status quo of what is because we benefit by it? Are there times where God's work actually seems like a disruption to our lives because we're trying to hang on things as they are? Because, yeah, it's too bad that that person has to suffer, but at least it's not me, right? And doesn't God challenge us to go in and, and think deeper than that, think broader than that, think bigger than that, think about the kingdom instead of our little world, our little pocket, this little t- time and space Instead of thinking about eternity, doesn't God call us to be thinking about what is God's plans here? Because there will be times, like I said, that God will actually instigate disruption. And it will be for the good, not just of the individual, but for all. That's his kingdom breaks in and turns stuff upside down. And are we too busy protecting our kingdom to be part of actually his kingdom at times? Where's that happening? Third one is this. Where might Jesus be asking you to become healed, but to become a different kind of disruptor, right? He, when he casts these demons out of this guy, he sent this guy back into his home, right? But he still continued to disrupt things, but now disrupting for the kingdom, now disrupting for the good of all those who hurt him, Right? He was bringing, he was telling them about about what God had done. He was telling them about the grace that was available to them. He was telling them about God's heart towards them. And that changes everything as well. But is there a place, is there something, where might God be calling you to become kind of this disruptor for his kingdom instead of this disruptor, you know, of maybe everything around you? Now, what might that take? It might take an encounter with Jesus. It might take that he comes in and he, like with this man, disrupts your life in the sense that he heals you, that, he, that there's a process that you go through that by which you kind of, all those demons are shut down, they're cast out, they're, all the chaos that, that has driven you crazy is just finally laid out flat so that you can actually follow Jesus. It may be, it may that it takes that. It may be something where you need to sit at his feet and he calls you, he tells you. You may be asking him, hey, can I go with you? And he says, no, I want you to go here instead. So it may take some time to listen and to hear that voice, but where is that place that Jesus may be calling you to go through that process so that you can be one of his disruptors for his kingdom? Could it be that he's calling you back to that in your own family, in your own community, in your own region? And a lot of times we think that to be a disruptor, we need to be some great theologian, right? We need to know all the answers in case people ask. We need to, you know, have these great treatises written out about, you know, that have these deep insights into God. We don't. When he calls you as a disruptor, oftentimes he sends you with the same instructions that he gave this guy. Did you hear him at the end? 
He says this, he says, so go home now to your own people, that network of people that I've already connected you with and tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. We can all do that, can't we? We can all do the work of being those who disrupt this world for the kingdom of God, disrupt this world for good in people's lives because we can all tell others what the good things are that God has done for us and how he has shown his mercy and what that means for them. Amen? Disruption is always about reconciliation. When it comes from God, it's always about restoring things, not tearing them apart. He tears it down just to build it back up so that we might be restored to him, that we might be restored to each other, that we might even be restored to ourselves, to that calling that he has on us and in us. In his name. Amen.